Hello, welcome again to Comic Connoisseurs. Tonight we will be talking about famous comic book lawsuits. Lawsuits. You first have my co-host, JT from Saskatoon. Overruled. Also with us is Red Ink. What's up? All right. So I wanted to talk about this topic because I just saw the news about uh, uh, original colorist for Invincible uh, William Crabtree is suing Kirkman, saying that uh, Kirkman was fooled him into signing out all of his rights to the books because you have to remember that uh, Crabtree worked on Invincible at the very beginning and Image, at least back then, had this thing where anyone working on a book owned the rights to the books. Like, Image was all very pro-creator, pro-creator's rights because the whole idea was, here are a bunch of creators that came from Marvel that got screwed over like everyone that, that ever worked at Marvel as a creator got screwed over. So we want to make a... We want to make a better comic book company with blackjack and hookers, and you get your rights. Um, and I don't know how I feel about this lawsuit, other than the fact that that there was a similar earlier lawsuit. Someone that worked on Walking Dead also sued Kirkman many years later, when Walking Dead became a media juggernaut as well, and was like, hey, yeah, I won part of that. Yeah, Tony Moore. You know, once uh, once Invincible became super popular, Tony Moore came up and says, hey, yeah, Kirkman fooled me to signing away my rights. And, well, go ahead, Red. How is that a trick? Because the guy's the colorist. The colorist doesn't have anything to do with putting together this story or anything. Coloring the fucking page is a job. You got paid for your fucking job. I think the reason why he's so salty is because the other two artists that worked on the book, Otley and the other guy, whose name escapes me, and I feel really bad about it. Corey uh, Walker. Yeah, Walker, still have their co-creator credits on it. And up at, you know, if you watch an episode of this cartoon, it says their names on it as well. And so, like, you've never, I've never heard of a colorist being fucking credited for anything. Yeah, I mean, that, in, in terms of creative, like, artist, writer, so, of course, Otley and the other guy, Walker, I know you just, Walker, you just said his name and I forgot it already, but they're part and parcel, but that that's like a hairstylist suing for custody of somebody's child because they dyed their hair once or something like that, like, you, you're not that, you know, essential for the whole thing so the idea that no unless he was there was something said in the beginning when he was cutting like as part of the original agreement and then whatever happened that you know with this new deal with kirkman yeah i don't know just doesn't sound like you got much legs there buddy it's open, like, if he wins this case, it's opening the fucking floodgates to a ton of different fucking lawsuits, because how many fucking colorists work for Marvel? Yeah, that's and absolutely DC, true. And DC? Yeah. That's absolutely true, and like I said, this this is not the first time Kirkman was sued over this, like, Walking Dead, as I mentioned before, um... One of the original artists on the first six issues of Watching Walking Dead was Tony Moore, and Walking, you know, he got off the book, and then they had uh, uh, Charlie Atler take over from pretty much that point forward. And I don't think these people would have gave given two shits if nothing happened beyond a certain point. If the if other media never got involved, they would have like not done a fucking thing. Um, Walking Dead became its own media juggernaut with its own video games, TV shows, TV show spinoffs, and Kirkman's making all that money, and then all of a sudden he's like, that could have been me, that could have been my one-fifth of that, could have been mine. It's, it's, it's stupid to be that worked up over it, because you're a colorist, it was a job to you. How much say did you have in the story? Like, how much they did... Tony Moore have in Walking Dead. You know, well, I, go ahead. I think with Tony Moore, 
you know, because he was there at the start, you know, he kind of helped craft the world through his artwork. I think he has some legs to his claim. And then, you know, that, but that only goes so far because he got off the book early on. And I mean, the whole idea of rights, like creator rights is unless you know what you're doing is a bit of a quagmire to look into. Like I remember a few years ago when the Siegel and Schuster families finally won their case against DC Comics, you'll get like some rights and residuals because, you know, Siegel and Schuster who created Superman were kind of scammed out of uh, their, you know, owners, like, creator's rights for superman because you look at what how big superman's become outside of comics with merchandising and movies and cartoons and all that so it's you got to be a pretty shrewd businessman nowadays to get into comics and you know if you've got something with legs that you can take it outside of the medium you know you have to be careful with how your deal is set up because you know, you look like what happened here with Kirkman, who, from what I've read, some other articles and such about, he's apparently not that nice a guy. Well, I never so there might... said he was a was a saint, but at the same time, uh, Red made a great point about the fact that these were all business deals. Like anyone who works at Image does so because they know they want to get a slice of their own pie. And if you're in that deal, well, and you go ahead, Red. There's a difference between a creator a writer and an artist and a colorist. Yes. The creator should have all the fucking rights to the comic. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. You fucking came up with it. You created it. If you hire a guy to write it, give him credit for writing it. Hire a guy to draw it, give him credit to draw it. Hire a guy to color it. Sure. Give him credit too. But the other three guys, if they're separate, they don't own they're not old shit. Like, yeah. say if I write a comic for you, I don't own your fucking comic. It's you. You own the comic. You fucking created it. Yeah, because, I mean, you think about it. Uh, you know, take Spider-Man, for example. You know, it's Lee and Ditko and some work from Jack Kirby in the offing. But... And they established this character, and he's gone on for some years. And then uh, when, you know, Ramita Sr. comes on, and then he tries to say, well, you know, I, he tries to pull the same thing, claiming that, you know, he's owed part of this pie. You know, he wants a slice of this pie because, you know, he's done this work. But you didn't create the character. You're a great creator and an artist and a writer but, you know, you don't have – you weren't there at the inception. You weren't there at the beginning. You didn't pick the kid up from the hospital and bring him home, as it were. So in, in terms of that, it's like, yeah, it's just coming in later. Sure, you, you, you're you not owed anything. It's a job for you, like Red said. But, you know, go back to this lawsuit. It's just you color – you put paint on the page. You know, you – Unless the colors of Invincible's suit with the blue, yellow, and black were so intrinsic to the character and they're very much part of his origin in some way, then maybe you could make that claim. But you just colored the costume, dude. Like, there's not, it's not, you know, anyone else could have done this job. Like Red said, how many hundreds and thousands of colorists and inkers? have worked in these in, in this industry over the years and they're just happy to have a job and you know they they've got like you know ink pay uh panels and pages they can sell on the side but like here's an example like you brought up inkers right yeah inkers have the same thing as colorists but at the same time they're more involved they can be more involved with the creation of the comic uh ben's mentor Wayne Howard. Wayne Howard is well known for creating the Blue Beetle to the point that Ben said that when he was tra training with Wayne, Wayne would once in a while get checks 
from DC. He, he, it was not a lot of money. It, it, it just trickled in sometimes. Well, it didn't matter how. It doesn't matter how much money, just that he got money. Yeah. So he was getting credit for creating the Blue Beetle. Now he Wayne Howard didn't create the Blue Beetle. He's not the one of the original creators, but he was involved in the Blue Beetle's creation. Specifically, uh, the Ted Cord Blue Beetle, not the original Dan Garrett, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, there was he was there at the Charlton years. He worked specifically at Charlton, and uh, that's where most of his stories were. But that's that's the thing you have to keep in mind is is Red's right. There is there's a collaborative process, and there's those who took a part in making the look, the feel, the style of the character, and there's then there's people who are who you know. Like, here's a good example. It's like someone who, you, you give them a di- dying book, like, say, Daredevil, when Daredevil had the fucking uh, black and yellow outfit and was the swashbuckler. The swashbuckler man with no fear. And there was nothing to the damn book. It was just a book that nobody liked. And you gave it to this artist, uh, Wally Wood. And Wally was like, okay, let's add some stuff to it. Let's give him this all red costume. Let's give him this uh, this uh, baton that could turn into a, a walking cane. Let, let's let's uh, flesh out his characters. Let, let's flesh out Paige. Let's flesh out uh, Foggy. Let, let's, let's make it a little more interesting. Like, the two daredevils, the, the black and yellow daredevil and the red daredevil, which is, let's, let's be frank, is the modern daredevil are two completely different fucking characters. I think you mean red and yellow, Daredevil, Ben. It's black and yellow. He's wearing like a black over shirt over his yellow bodysuit. Okay. And and that gives you a lot more credence than saying, like, technically someone else created Daredevil, but the modern Daredevil created by Wayne Howard and then refined by Frank Miller. Um those people are more than an asterisk, but at the same time, they willingly went to work for Marvel under employment contracts that they willingly read, understood, and signed. They knew that at the end of the day, they aren't the creators of Daredevil, but they are you know, the people who brought life to it. And they understood that they signed the contracts, and it feels more like like buyer's remorse now like oh this thing that uh, became so big you know like that's how William Crabtree's uh, lawsuit feels like is this thing I was involved with tangentially that all of a sudden became big yeah I, I want a part of that now it, it, it reminds me of this thing I was telling Red the other day um, seven years ago I knew this guy named Crescencio that was telling me hey Ben you really need to get on this Bitcoin thing it's only like 10 cents a coin and I had a fairly large amount of uh, liquid savings at that time. I could have easily put a couple of grand on that. But I didn't know what the fuck Bitcoin is. I didn't care. And now if I put like, say, five grand in Bitcoin that day, I'd be a billionaire now. But at the same time, it's an interesting thought process. It's an interesting thought experiment. But at the same time, I'm like, but that's not what happened. And it didn't. And I'm not going to be like, hey, yeah, it fucking sucks that I didn't do that. But. So what? Like, it feels like sour grapes to me. What do you, what do you say to that, Red? I didn't trust Bitcoin either. Like, I, I never heard about it as early as you did. When I heard about it, Bitcoin was $10 a coin. This was back in, like, 2005. And a guy, one of my friends, somebody who used to... Uh, commission art for me had a bitcoin he's like good yeah, just, just have it i don't need it i can't spend it just have it so i had to sign up for some weird fucking bank online to hold it and all this shit i lost all the information i don't have it anymore i can't find the fucking bitcoin but you have your regret like <laughs> well amy talk about uh you know, creators suing for their rights. Uh, 
brought to mind Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan's the unsuccessful lawsuit against Marvel uh, in 98, like after Blade hit big at the box office. Because for those that don't know, they, you know, they didn't initially have the Blade, the Vampire Hunter, or, you know, based on characters created by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. Uh, eventually they got that credit in the film, but they, you know, they and ultimately they didn't get anything back from Marvel. Uh, they didn't even get credit credits on any of the further Blade films in the franchise, although, you know, Blade Trinity and it dodged a bullet there or the TV show. But the fact is, is like, you know, even if you don't have full creator rights that you're getting all this bang for the success that Blade was, at the very least from the beginning, Marvel should should have just automatically put that on there. I mean, it's say what you will about Bob Kane, but for years you had in the comics, like on the, what do you call it? The, on the Indica where he talks about like writer artist and all that, usually on the first page of an issue, it would always have Batman, you know, created by Bob Kane. I mean, yes, Bill Finger was involved in that. That wasn't revolved until like what in the last 10 years, but creators should at least very get, get that acknowledgement, even if there's no financial compensation. So when stuff like that happens, like with Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan, I mean, but the Crabtree situation isn't a Bill Finger situation. Yeah, Bill Finger actually was involved in the creation of fucking Batman because Kane's Batman. They literally showed it in fucking what his depiction of Batman was. If you watch Batman, suit. if you watch Batman Begins, the movie, they say, "Oh, this is an artist's depiction of what somebody saw the Batman." They show a picture, and it's literally fucking Bob Kane's picture of Batman, the original picture, concept of Batman. A red Union a guy, suit, which, which is a guy in a fucking striped suit with fucking bat wings, and it looks stupid. The domino mask. And Bill Finger came in and was like, "No, fuck it, we'll." I uh, read the shadow. The shadow's pretty fucking cool. It's just copy the shadow, and that's what he fucking did. And we'll put bad ears on him. Yeah, and and it's important, like like Red said, that they have to keep in mind things like Crabtree. Crabtree, from what I've I've never heard of Crabtree being that influential. Like, and I have to also point out that you know people it's not about being influential he's a fucking colorist yeah and, and that's the other thing i want to add is is people talk about kirkman not being a nice guy and that could be very well true but you know otley and walker's name to this day is still on the fucking thing and so it's not like he didn't give people credit for doing shit on it like let's put it this way uh crabtree didn't even do the entire Invincible series. Probably about, I don't know, volume three stopped fucking doing it. Yeah. The other thing is, colorists have nothing to do with the creative process. That's true. And today, when you're a colorist, you're hired to do a job and you get paid for your job. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah but like I said, it's like people paint Kirkman as a really bad guy, but Walker stopped, what was it, volume five? Yeah. And his name's still on there, so I, I can't help but feel like, like I said, this feels like sour grapes of. Uh, well, I could have designed Invincible, created. Yeah, he was in the, he was part of the character creation. Yeah, but like uh, Otley, just like he always said with Daredevil, he changed the Invincible comic when he came on. Suddenly, it became a lot more violent and a lot more gory because Otley's fucking artwork and his style. And the cartoon obviously takes more tones and from Otley than Walker, but uh, yeah. but no but one I mean can that... deny don't no can deny that Walker made the series pop when it started. Yeah, but with this loss in him saying he got tricked out of this is like I think he's just I think it's just greed because you know the animated series hit big. Uh, you know, every now and again, I see in some chat rooms on Facebook and some of the comic groups fans like, oh, you know, maybe they're going to do a live action Invincible film now. Sure, why not? But 
I think just that, I've heard Walk uh, Otley and fucking Crabtree Kirkman are planning to do an Invincible sequel. Oh. Hmm. But yeah, but I mean, it's just like him saying you got tricked out of this. Is like, okay, really, how much money has been made from this first eight episodes of Invincible? And aside from the notoriety and the recognition from being involved in a franchise with that and the money, like why, like, I just don't understand why he brought this lawsuit, like claiming trick. Okay. It's not like the comic was making my, I mean, the comics over the comic was over a couple of years before the animated series ever happened. And you wait until something, another media, or another media has this take on this property before you sue him for it. And it's like, I think it's just greed. Right. Yeah. A lot of it's greed. Yes. Yeah. Invincible is over for like 15 years before the fucking animated series came out. Yeah. And the only reason it was done was because of fucking Walking Dead and how popular it was. Like, it was all Robert Kirk Kirkman's momentum that Amazon's like, okay, let's give it a try. Let's make this let's make this series. It was over three years before the animated series came out. Yeah, but the point remains is yeah. when the when this when the comic was going back and forth, where Kirkman spent months at a time not updating it because he was busy focused on his Walking Dead empire. No one gave a fuck. No one was suing for rights. No one was saying, hey, I owned a part of this. I did this. I, you know, Crabtree was silent when the series was just a darling of the print. And I'm not saying it wasn't doing good because it was doing okay. It was, people loved it. People for years have said, this is, this is the revival of the superhero comic. You know, Kirkman brought back the superhero comic with Invincible. Kirkman proved that, that indie superhero comics can work. And all through that acclaim, small acclaim in the grand scheme of the media, Crabtree was fucking silent. He didn't want a piece of a couple thousand. He want, As soon as all of a sudden Invisible became this multimedia quote-unquote juggernaut with the announcement of the animated series and, and the renewal of the animated series and... You know, all of a sudden, all this ancillary stuff, the talk of the revival series, like Red said. Now, all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I own a part of this. Not when it was just the media darling of the print media. No, no. Now, now he wants a part of this. It's all greed. Which, you know, and to put that into context, you know, like I said before, with the Schuster and Siegel family, and even Jack Kirby's family, like, to agree is part of that on some level, but I think it was more so there was an honest, like, oh, God, the words escape me. It's like they, they wanted, you know, their fathers and grandfathers before them. Like, they wanted to have that recognition. It's not just... You know, DC owns Superman. It's like, well, Superman was created by these two guys, you know, just seeking well, a better life. And they, like I said before, they got screwed out of so much money. They're, what they were after was kind of justified because they've, uh, they've never owned Superman, for one thing. They, uh, Superman was always owned by Detective Comics. However... It was Schuster or Siegel. I can't remember which one. They before they went to fucking like they went and fought in World War or two. maybe two or Vietnam. I can't remember which one. But they were recruited by the army, and they had an idea. They were like, "What if we made Superman but younger? What if we made his young adventures when he was a kid?" Kids might pick this up. This might revive the fucking Superman series because Superman was slowing down in momentum at the time. He's like, well, well, what if we made Superboy? And he was just talking about it. He left. He came back. And guess what? They were making Superboy comics. And it did revive. It did do everything that he thought it would do. And he never 
sued. He never did anything about it. They literally stole his idea without his permission. Though. And when the Schusters sued, they got the rights to Superboy. Yeah. And they got the rights to Superboy because the people who own, like DC does not own Wonder Woman. Woman. They, re- they rent them Wonder Woman from the creator's family. And that that deal helped them get Superboy. But then fucking DC were a bunch of little fucking fuckheads and they killed off Superboy and didn't publish anything Superboy related for like five fucking years because they're being little shits. Didn't want to pay for them. Because, I mean, with rights and, you know, killing characters, you know, just to not, like what you said there, Red, it just kind of makes me think about X-Men and the Inhumans with Marvel. With, you know, the rights, the film rights being with Fox and them thumbing their noses at Marvel in terms of residuals and that, the you know, they push how many years, what, four or five years? They're pushing the in, the Inhumans. And when's the last time we saw the Inhumans in comics? That's that's like, true. And a big part of that you have to keep in mind is um, that sour grapes from Marvel to basically not try to play ball with uh, with Fox about the, about the X-Men and the Mutants. They could have played ball because Fox always made it clear that they were willing to play ball. Um, Sony played ball with, with Spider-Man and... You know, Marvel could not risk not getting a piece of that Spider-Man action, so they agreed to co-produce the uh, the home series. Um, but Marvel was not willing to play ball with Fox at all, and it's just really funny to me because uh, I don't know if you know this, but the whole reason why these rights are so strewn out is because in the '90s, just for the listeners, Marvel was facing bankruptcy, and Marvel decided the best way to make the quick cash to keep the doors open and the lights on was to sell the film rights to several different characters. That's why they're spread so far into the wind. That's why Sony has Spider-Man. That's why Fox has has X-Men. And it's because the most popular and the most lucrative properties were sold off immediately. And the rest just sort of sat at the, the House of Ideas. And that's why the first MCU movie was Iron Man because they couldn't give Iron Man away in the 90s. Disney was not Disney. Marvel was like, "Hey, we'll give you we'll give you Spider-Man, we'll give you Iron Man, we'll give you Black Panther, we'll give you we'll give you like 80% of what we got the film rights to to for Sony for double the cost of what they well, we just bought Spider-Man for." And so he's like, "No, we want the money maker. Fuck these other guys." Yeah, and, and with a lot of those deals, um, like, you know, throughout the late 90s when, you know, comic books, as as we're edging towards, you know, the modern comic book movie boom, like, that 10 years between Blade and Iron Man, like, they, they were really trying hard to make a Namor, the Submariner movie, years before Aquaman ever became a possibility with Warner Brothers. And Marvel couldn't pursue that because the rights to Neymar are intrinsically tied in with a Fantastic Four because, you know, that's how they brought him back into the Silver Age of Comics was, you know, his debut in, I forget what issue of Fantastic Four, but, you know, when Johnny Storm's like, fuck you guys, I'm going to move out on my own. He ends up in a flop house and, you know, he gives Namor the hot shave and all of a sudden kicks him in the water. And all of a sudden he's imperious Rex again. So he's tied by that. He's tied into the Marvel rights or, you know, for years they want to use stuff like uh, dragon man or Galactus and the silver surfer. But those characters are all tied into the fantastic four. So Marvel didn't have any rights to use those characters in any form of media, except comics or animated series which is a whole other ball of wax from the movies, which I thought I didn't know they separated the rights like that back in the day that, you know, there's like, okay, TV rights over here and you take the movies and okay, video games like that's ever going to pay off. 
And I always find it interesting when you, know, you think, hey, I would like to see this movie not going to happen. These guys own the rights. I mean, you look at the Spider-Man movies, like before Sony got the Spider-Man rights, the rights for a Spider-Man movie for years laid with James Cameron, who tried really hard. I mean, he's a huge fan. Like I've seen interviews with him talking about Spider-Man. I, I think he's an actual fan. I don't know where his mindset is now, but, you know, eventually he lost the rights and... Or is it before, I think before him, like Canon, the guys that gave us, you know, Cyborg, Kickboxer, the Masters of the Universe movie, they were going to make a Spider-Man movie. So much so, I don't know if you guys remember, there were two or three issues of Spider-Man in the mid-80s that featured uh, light, light of action shots of this guy, you know, like doing the half Peter Parker, half Spider-Man image or peter you know peeling his outer clothes off to you to get to his spider-man suit do you remember those covers yeah okay so those folks through the listeners that guy was not the actor to play spider-man but he he was going to be the he was actually the stuntman that was signed up to do the stunts for spider-man in a canon film spider-man movie and that's how from there we like i said we get james cameron eventually sony picks it up marvel was playing Chinese checkers on a 3D level with a lot of their rights because like Ben said they're circling the drain like the only reason we got 11 billion comics under the Clone Saga banner was because at the time during the comic boom of the 90s you know the, the editors saw like how much money they were making how many issues were going out the door so like no let's keep this thing going yeah 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 make make norman osborne alive again yeah you know he had a healing factor like wolverine yeah he got stabbed through our he's alive like that the only reason we got that now is because marvel was desperate for cash and then they tried turning lex luther or norman osborne into a low-rent lex luther for years before he ever became the goblin again i don't with like the creators rates and you know marvel like this what's one that you guys uh kind of like that you guys always think of in this context like marvel creators looking for their piece of the pie well i go back again to the whole thing about there is you know you go in and especially in the 70s marvel already had a reputation for screwing over creators uh so did DC. Like, you go in. It's like an old saying: you don't go to bed with the devil and not expect getting fucked. And I have some sympathy, but not a lot, because these are people that are going into this business, signing these contracts, knowing that they're basically saying, "Yes, I'm just a cog in the machine. I'm okay with that." You can't just all of a sudden not be okay with that after you sign a legally binding contract saying you are okay with that. That's that's petulant that that's a temper tantrum how about you red what's one that sticks out for you jack kirby yeah jack kirby may get a lot of credit for creating characters and stuff like that but he died in a he when he died he was buried in a pauper's grave he didn't get shit That is true. Um, he was much beloved by other creators, but and they 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 are stories about several creators pitching in to help with costs and stuff. But it, it is true that he never got the acknowledgement until the very tail end of his life, um, and that's more from the creators than from the fans, not from the companies themselves. It's uh, Kirby's a sad story because he really did build a lot of the houses he he you know, worked in. It's it's kind of sad at the same time because, you know, Stan Lee could say the most bullshit stories about the creation of these characters that is totally provably false and people just lap it up, lap it up. Well, you know, Kirby could tell... <laughs> Go ahead. You just made me remember a story that Alan Moore told. <laughs> well, I'll... I'll I'll let you tell it after I tell this one because uh, this because well Jack Kirby could tell a creation story and there could be corroborating evidence there could be three people that would testify on his behalf and say yeah this is how it happened 
but Stanley could just say some bullshit like, uh, I was watching a spider climb a wall one day and I decided to create Spider-Man. Or, 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 I was wondering what it would be like if you had a nerdy guy all of a sudden be powerful. That was Spider-Man. And then you had Jack Kirby say, yeah, me and Joe Simon had this idea called the Silver Spider. We did some sketches, threw it in a, in a, in a filing cabinet. And then Steve Jacob says, yeah, one day a guy walked up to me, put the, put the Silver Spider sketches on my desk, say, hey, can you recreate this? Yeah. And it's like here here's corroborating stories. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard, you have, sorry, I've heard like several different creation stories from Stanley himself and you can find them all on fucking YouTube. Yep. Because he's been interviewed. It's like ten different fucking reasons why he created Spider Man and how he did it and shit like that. That's just Stan. Yeah. And it's also as I brought up before, Alan Moore once told this story. I think you can find this him saying this story on YouTube as well during an interview where he attended a meeting at Marvel and like a creator meeting where everybody got together and what are we going to do this year kind of thing. And when he walked in, Stan was in the room. And Stan was telling a story about how he and Jack created Captain America together. <laughs> and Alan Moore has literally told him to shut the fuck up. You were 12 years old when fucking Captain America was created. By Jack Kirby and Joe Simon, yes. Yeah, yeah it's actually... Stanley is has a weird roundabout way of... Uh, Stanley created the letters to the editor page of comic books. In a really roundabout story that uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon have corroborated, um, Jack and Joe were creating Captain America. They were creating the books, and Stanley's uncle was a part owner of Timely Comics back then. It was Timely Comics, and Stanley would come in after school and just sit at a table and start playing a flute, really badly. And Jack and Joe were pissed off at this kid playing the flute really badly. They were pissed off at him. They finally said, okay, you know what? We need to find a way to cheap, you know, ship these comic books cheaper because the uh, post office was charging us like three whole cents to, 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 uh, to, to ship them because they have too many pictures in them. Uh, okay, how do we make it cheaper? Well, we can, we can label them as correspondence if we have like a letter to the other page at the back. Okay, great. Uh, Stan, stop playing that damn flute. Start writing some answers to these letters the other pages we're getting from fans. I am honestly amazed that some of this material that I've learned tonight. <laughs> so, Stan Lee created really backwardsly the letters the other page in the back of comic books because he really can't play the fucking flute when he was 13 years old. Um, <laughs> um, there are other, there are other lawsuits. Uh, one way I have to mention about creators and creators rights that uh, I, I love bringing up is the fucking, uh, and I, I know red like hates this one or loves this one too, for the wrong reasons. Uh, Ken Penders, Versus Archie Comics. Um, so, you know who Ken Penders is, right, JT? Yes. Okay. Sonic the Hedgehog, Uncle Chuck, Chili Dogs. Okay, well, I have to give the really, really super brief explanation of Sonic rights. Um, Sega owns Sonic. Sega owns Tails. Sega owns Knuckles. Sega owns Amy Rose. Sega owns all the characters you see in the main video games. This is without question. Um, in the 90s, Sonic was sort of taking off. Sonic was becoming its own little media empire. And TV, uh, a uh, animation company called Deke was like, hey, we want to make a Sonic cartoon. And Sega was like, okay, fine, fuck it, we don't care. Um, as long as you don't have like weird adult shit in it, we don't care. And so 
Deke made Sadam. And Sadam was not like the games at all. Sadam was dark and grimy, but it, apparently Sega didn't care. And then Sadam became kind of popular with kids. So you had a comic company, Archie Comics, like, hey, yeah, we want to make a Sonic comic. And Sega again was like, okay, fine. We don't care. We, we don't care. We, we were not, here, here's a series Bible about Sonic. Sonic's a hedgehog. He runs around. He collects strings. We don't care. And they're like, oh, we want to do one based off the Deke series. So, again, Sega didn't care. They was like, as long as you're not like making Sonic so unrecognizable that we can't make video games, we don't care. <laughs> um, and one of the first creators that Archie Comics had doing the Deke, the, based off the Deke cartoon com Sonic comic book was Ken Penders. And Ken Penders is what happens when you give Chris Chan a job in the comic book industry. Um, Penders signed the standard Archie Comics. Uh, everything I create is work for hire. I don't own a fucking thing I make. It is just a job. And Archie Comics is infamous for this contract because this is how they fucking screwed over uh, uh, DiCarlo, uh, one of the most famous Archie artists ever. DiCarlo got screwed over by this this contract so everyone knows Archie is extremely careful with this contract um, Ken Penders and Archie eventually separated ways and Archie comics office had some sort of a was it a flood Brett I think it was a flood yeah and Ken contacted the secretary and says hey can you go into the uh, into the filing cabinet while no one's looking and get my contract and she did she gave it to him and he burned it and so Ken Penders says, wait a minute, I never signed the contract. I owned, yeah. I owned all you have the, to, go ahead. You have to end every sentence with the word allegedly. Yes, allegedly burned the contract. Allegedly bribed the the, uh, the secretary. Allegedly burned the contract. Allegedly this and that. And he, he, he sued Archie Comics and Sega saying, hey, they have echidnas showing up now. I own all the echidnas. And Sega basically looked at Archie's like, you got into this mess. We don't care about kidnas. You straighten it out. Archie presented a copy of the contract because they copied all their legal paperwork. And the court's like, no, we want to see the original. And, and Archie Comics like, we don't have the original. And the court's like, too bad. And Archie's like, Sega, you fight this lawsuit first. And Sega's like... Sega treated it like cutting off an, 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 a, a, your tonsils. Like, we don't care. We Fine, we won't have fucking echidnas show up again. We don't care. And Archie's like, oh, fuck. We just lost like 60% of our continuity. And um, now you have fucking uh, Ken Pedder sitting alone at a fucking table next to Terry Dotson uh, advertising the Laura Sue Chronicles. Like, okay, Ken Penders won, but he won some fucking autistic echidna characters. Who cares? <laughs> There's another artist that was also involved. In in somebody? I can't remember. But he also won his creation. Oh, a Scourge the Hedgehog? No. It was some dumb fucking elephant villain. Oh, Monsieur he, Mammoth or something, I think he was called. Yeah, and he's got a website and everything dedicated to this villain where you can buy T-shirts and mugs. <laughs> and... It, it, like I said, I love Sega's stance of, we don't care. <laughs> and they, they chopped it off like 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 removing tonsils. Like, okay, fine, you can have these fucking autistic uh, echidnas and elephants and shit. We don't, like, see what you can do with them. We don't care. I mean, to, to be fair, Ben, uh, Sega doesn't care. I mean, just look at the game, Sonic game franchise over the last 15 years and longer. What, what I'm saying is, is the old beam and nothing of value was lost. <laughs> you know, if we ever make merchandise, that's going to be a T-shirt. Like, like, honestly, I'm going to pull the room here. Do you think Sega truly lost 
this lawsuit by letting them keep their shitty OCs? No. Red? What are we going to do without Red Sonic and Red Sonic's family? Like, and this is the epitome of and nothing of value is lost. Like, like Archie got taken and couldn't make their fucking Santa and base comic for a while because because it got gutted with fucking Pender's lawsuit. But so what? Like, every time they reboot the comic after that, it pretty much became closer and closer to Sonic is a, is a, is a cute woodland creature. He runs around. He collects rings. He has a, he has a two-tailed fox falling around. Isn't this cute? Unless, unless of the super autistic shit. Was Pinders responsible for any of, like, the supersonic, ultrasonic, any yes. of those? Yes. Okay. All of it, Yes. So it makes me wonder with the current Sonic series coming out from IDW if they worked out a deal with him because there have been a few issues of that title where he's accessed those, you know, altered those super forms. Well, no, he doesn't have any rights. He only fought for the rights for the dumb fucking kids. That's all he wanted. Now, keep in mind, there's a reason why they were so personal to him. The last one? He, yeah, exactly. He likes to recycle ideas. So he created a comic for Image years ago before he worked for fucking, for fucking, what do you call it? Archie. Archie. Called The Lost Ones. And all these echidna characters are based on the Lost One characters. Just giving a new skin, given the fucking skin of fucking... Echidnas. <laughs> so that's why he was so personal, and that's why he wanted them so badly. Because if you ever dig, if you dig up the Lost One fucking comics, and you dig up the fucking Archie comics, you'll see parallels between the fucking characters, and it's not hard to see them. Man. Thinking about some of the some of these lawsuits we've been talking about, it's like like I'm just spitballing here, land of the hypothetical. That's like some of this stuff makes me wonder: what if Scott McDaniel, the artist on Daredevil during the armored costume era in the '90s, tried to sue for something from Marvel because you know I created this or I did the art on that or Oh God, uh, Ben, help me out. Uh, female artist did the Menage Trois strip. Did some work for Giselle Lagasse. Thank you. It's like you know her. Like you've talked to her. Like do you know what kind of contract she got when she worked for Archie doing the covers? She got a fairly good one, and she was uh, it's one she negotiated, and, and she knew what. She was, she was going into because she's a big time Archie fan. She knew about the Carlo getting screwed. And even knowing that, she still willingly worked with Archie Comics because she just wanted to draw Archie stuff. Yeah, um, but I mean, forewarned is forearmed. Right? Yeah. And, uh, and it's like, it goes back to, you know, if you're going to go in bed with the devil, you're going to get fucked. You, you know, it's going to happen. You, you have to just be prepared for it and do, at least negotiate for it. And I think that's Giselle, Giselle's stance is, she knew what she was getting into, and she knew what Archie was like, and she still wanted to do it. So she was prepared for what she was going to get out of it. She knew it was just a job. Um, there were still some comics she really wanted to do. She wanted to do and run a Josie title by herself. Archie wouldn't play ball with her, so she didn't beg for it. She just asked for it. Like, yeah, because all you can do is ask, right? Yeah, like... That's what that's how you can treat it because if you go in desperately, they're gonna fuck you. You know, you ask, they give it or they don't. Like uh, one of the creators that I have a lot of respect for, Christopher Priest, you know, he approached the right shoulder to Vampirella. He's like, hey, I want to do Vampirella, and they said, okay, yeah, we'd love to have you do it. Like 
that's all you can really do if you want to work on a character and the right holders are extremely litigious and extremely protective of the rights and aren't willing to give more than just your base pay for working on a title but you want to work on the character anyways you accept it i'm sorry that's the truth you can't accept it and then 30 years later be like yeah i made this i made this i want more than just my name on those issues i want to have a piece of the pie now it's going all the way back to the invisible lawsuit it's you knew it was work for hire you accepted it you can't count on your regrets today on what you were willing to sign 20 years ago. Yeah. Now, when when you talk about uh, stuff like this, I think it we kind of look at licensed properties. Now, there's the big thing a few weeks ago that uh, IDW have for almost 20 years has had the GI Joe license. And they've done a lot of good work. I mean, particularly the continuation of the Marvel, you know, G.I. Joe, a real American hero series, which brought back our Lord and Savior, Larry Hama, to write that. And there's a lot of fans, I and mean, we've talked about it on the show before, as well as what fans have said. It's like, you know, if IDW does actually lose the rights, which I'm still not 100% sure if they're losing it or not, whoever gets the next whoever the next rights holder is like get Larry Hama to keep writing. Cause you know, he, he isn't, I don't think he's created every character, but he is, you know, integral to the success of the franchise for as long as it's been around, you know, based largely on all the toys and the animated series, but also the Marvel comic. Cause that's what's stuck in a lot of people's heads. And there's also like the ghostbusters comics from IDW, which a lot of different creators have worked on this over the years since they got the uh, the originally got the license. But in particular, you got Dan Schoening and Eric Burnham, who are two of the biggest uh, or most well-known creators that have worked on this franchise. Now, they deserve rights. I think they've got a little piece of it. You know, they've got that recognition and I've seen interviews with them. I've read interviews with them, I should say, that they're happy just having been fans growing up. They are happy just they were able to put their mark on it and then take it all the way back to, you know, the lawsuit, Crabtree's lawsuit. You know, they were fans. They, they created these stories. It's a continuation of the movies and the video game, which are the games in canon. We all know this. And they are fans, and they wrote what they felt were appropriate continuations of all these stories. But they put the work in and they made new stuff. And, you know, because they wanted this story to continue. Crabtree, like I said before, he just put paint on the page. So, I mean, like I said, to bring it back like that, like, what did he think was going to happen? You know, you didn't make a mark. You didn't create, like, a standout character or a seminal run in, you know, Invincible. You colored black and white images to make them pop. But that's all you did. Like, it's like with fans who, you know, bitch, moan, and complain about movies, you know, I know there's going to be some Uber Moon Knight uh, fan with this Marvel series coming out that's going to be um, actually, Mark Spector doesn't actually have superpowers except in that one issue from 1985. It's this... Uh, Phase of the Moon or some shit? Yeah. Uh, I think technically he still has that power in the comics, but it depends on whether or not writers choose to use it. But what I'm getting at is that Crabtree's lawsuit doesn't sound like a creator with a just cause. He sounds like this overly zealous fan who has this insanely overinflated sense of entitlement, you know, which a lot of fans have nowadays that, you know, bitch moan and complain about stuff. It doesn't match up to what they saw in their heads. It was like, well, you didn't create the, you didn't write the script. You didn't work on the special effects. You didn't direct the movie. So don't really have, much say in it again like crabtree 
I'm a, I'm an idiot in a lot of things in life. And it's stuff like this that really burns my bacon. Because you don't deserve anything, Crabtree. You're a greedy hump, and I hope you lose. End of story. Yeah, and it's, again, it, I feel like part of it is the, the uh, other person's reputation is what makes people feel so, oh yeah, Crabtree should win. And that pisses me off because Kirkman could be an asshole. By all accounts, he might well, as well will could be, but that doesn't mean he automatically has to lose. It doesn't mean he's automatically wrong. It's the same thing with Archie Comics. Archie Comics screwed over to Carlo. This is without a doubt the truth. But that doesn't mean that when Ken Penders sued them, that Ken Penders was all of a sudden righteous. No, Ken Penders was a piece of shit, allegedly. Um, he did lots of shady things, allegedly. Uh, that doesn't mean he gains virtue all of a sudden because in the in the courtroom, the other side of the aisle happens to be Archie Comics. I hate that sort of thinking, a good guy versus bad guy in these situations because it's more complex than that. And sometimes it's simpler than that too because in the Kirkman-Crabtree uh, situation, as we said, Crabtree was barely involved. Crabtree didn't have his fingers deep in the pie of the process. He just like, it's, go ahead. It's not having to do with the creative process. Like, if I were to make a comic. Yes. And I were hired a writer or well, if I wrote it, I hired an artist. My comic took off. I would give the artist some credit. I put his fucking credit up on the, up on the screen. But that's all it is. Getting credit for drawing the fucking, helping me draw the comic and helping me design villains and stuff like that. But does it get a piece of the pie? Does it get a piece of the money? Depending on his contract, probably not. I'm sorry, you never create, you didn't create the series, you didn't create the character. But a fucking colorist? I'm sorry. I'm all into creative rights. I'm all into create and creators getting their fucking their due and shit like that. But a colorist is a job. You get paid for that job and that's it. You don't have any creative rights. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, it's like uh, the comic book artist Brett Booth. That would be like him claiming he owns part of the Dresden Files because he drew a number of the comic book adaptations from that novel series. It's like you get a little piece of the pie because, you know, you drew those comics, but you don't own anything of the franchise of the IP because that's all, you know, the creators or him because he drew like one of the last runs of uh, Bloodshot for Valiant. It's like, well, you, you, you're owed some because you drew that specific series. But again, you didn't have any say in the creation, you know. Like I said, it's just when go back to the Crabtree thing, it's just this is what burns me is like, how did you why would you expect this to happen? Why would you expect this to go through for you? You know, that that's like a guy who eating a cheeseburger and then demanding his money back from McDonald's or something. Like, it's just stupidity. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. I'm, I'm an idiot, and I can see this. Yeah. So, I don't think we have a lot more else to say on this topic, unless anyone else has any final thoughts. So, final thoughts, guys? Crabtree can suck it. Uh, Red? Mm. I, I know a lot of people are going to complain that, oh, oh technically a, a colorist should get credit. No, sorry. It's a fucking job. And getting credit, you're not, I'm sorry, you don't, especially Invincible. Invincible had 10 different fucking colorists working on it. In so many guest covers, like Frank Cho did some guest covers. <laughs> Does Frank Cho have a piece of the pie now? It's, con it's contract work. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I. Uh, it, it's stuff like this that makes me not want to read comics anymore because there's assholes like this out here just sucking all the joy out of the medium for me. <laughs> What's the other asshole sucking the joy that uh, that? Just makes the medium not fun for me. But uh, anyways, that's uh, that's is our show about uh, some very infamous lawsuits in comics. So this year, this year's Ben, JT from Saskatoon. Reading. We're saying good night. So long. Peace out.